Hello and welcome to Society as Meogenics podcast. That one where Lily and Hannah go A to S through grunge, indie, alt rock, pop, movies, soundtrack, mod revivalists, TV, and general generation Catalana goodness or something. <laughs> and this week it's what for? What? <laughs> what? I've just been doing phonics with my daughter. What for Wella? It's Wella. <laughs> Um, bit of a surprise, actually. We kind of came out of the gate on this one, deciding to do Wildwood, and then we just just changed gears. Hannah's going to take us there with the jam. We're going to get into his later stuff after that. Let's go. Okay. M- much to the chagrin of ev- every uh, workaholics fan, sorry. They're currently trying to lead the charge against the phrase. Let's go. Oh right, I thought you were gonna. You meant we're for workaholics next next time. I would love it, except it's got really it's nothing to do with our pod apart from it. Fucking amazing. Anyway, right. Okay, do you want to kick us off with some? Whoa, 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 woking, <laughs> woking. Very good. <laughs> whoa, whoa, woking sets the scene um, for uh, the birth of young. John Weller, I think his name is, really. But John William Weller. Yeah. Lots of words, but I don't get where the Paul thing came Lots from. Lots of words. It's not even his middle name, as far as I can tell, but his parents started calling him Paul. He should thank him. feel he's very lucky he could have been Willie Weller from Woking. It <laughs> <laughs> was anyway. the day after my birthday. Well, I mean, a few I, years earlier. I did. <laughs> several. <laughs> several years after that. Um... Yeah, I saw that as well. Um, so, Woking, for those who don't know, appears in the Doomsday Book of um, 1686. Is it? Um, <laughs> wow, this is taking an interesting Woking Gus, the site of an 8th century monastery. Are you sure that's Woking, not Wokingham? I mean, I have no idea, but I get no, those two places confused. It's Woking Gus from the 17th century. So. Okay. Woking boasts a Wellesian Martian tripod unveiled in 1998. Did you know that? Isn't that brand new information? I absolutely did not. That's no. whoa, 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 Wellsian. Um, because H.G. Wells uh, wrote the whoa, whoa, War of the Worlds there. Wow. Mm-hmm. Also in Woking. I hear there's a very um, charming pizza joint. I uh, don't know where exactly. I think you could probably ask Prince Andrew. I'm not really <laughs> sure if he knows where it is either, though. <laughs> Boom. Very good. Um, uh, whoa, Wells' dad, John was their manager, which is so random because he had... Like... What, a Pizza Express in Wokingham? <laughs> 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 well, he was um, a builder and taxi driver. You know, <laughs> that would have been an amazing connection. I'm, I'm actually a bit gutted that that isn't true. But yeah, you're right, he was a factory worker, builder and cabbie. Yeah, yeah, okay, Sadly. he managed the jam for a bit, yeah. Actually, yeah. Didn't, yeah, for he managed the career, yeah. <laughs> then he managed Style Cancel, <laughs> then he managed Um up until he, he carved it. So, Oh, I have a fun fact about his dad, though. John was born in Brighton. Ah, nice. And he was brought up, um, well, in his very young years anyway, over in Hanover on Southampton Road. Oh, it's lovely, with all the colourful houses. Nice, yes. Um, and then he moved to Chichester where he became a boxer and joined the army and won the Armed Forces Boxing Championship. Apparently cool. he's a teddy boy as well. Oh. A bit of a geese. Oh, and I'm telling you this because you're wondering why I'm telling you this. Yeah. Um, because I had a really, really... I just thought it was so wellery when it came to just, just really crystallising his personality. He said, um, everyone just loved him. I thought his passing was a blessing. He was really not in a good way for the last four or five years. It's a cliche, but if he'd been an animal, you'd have put him down. (laughs) Who says that about their own dad? Who, by the way, sacrificed his entire life to look out for you and fight your battles. And apparently would, like, throttle people or, like, grab them by the hair in a meeting. Wow. With the big London bigwigs, yeah. And apparently the mum as well really protected him and his delicate ears from any, any negativity just mess with this process kind of thing of which he now uh, appreciates might not have been the exact right thing to do because he can be a bit of a spoiled brat yeah so his, anyway his, his mum I had to see if there was any connection but actually then I realised that the name was spelled differently but Anne Weller uh, his main name was Craddock I saw that too yeah but with two D's not one D like 
What's his face? Steve Craddock. It must be Craddock. From Ocean Colour Scene, who I'm sure we'll talk about. Craddock. Anyway, have we spoken enough about Paul Weller's Ma and Pa? Yeah. Shall we get into some of the music? Well, Anne, Anne, she didn't get enough credit. She she apparently ran his fan club. Oh, oh nice. nice. Bless her. And his anyway. sister, his sister, like, did what, curated his, I don't know, archive. Or <laughs> no, they're basically all Nikki. Paul Weller's bitches. Mm. I hope they were paid admirably for all this. Family affair. <clears throat> right, shall we get on to the music? Mm-hmm. Okay. Brilliant. Should we go kind of chronologically then, yeah? Yes. Okay. All right, well, whilst I, uh... Whilst I tell you a little bit about the jam, we'll uh, kick off with their first single, In The City. Um, so, um, some lazy research here from Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, Paul's musical vocation was confirmed after seeing Status Quo live in 1972. Did I tell you that I got my mum's Status Quo tickets for Christmas? You did, you told us all. <laughs> Can't go though. Turns then out you, she's going to be at a wedding, are. so I've got to change them. Is she um, going to a world wedding? <laughs> oh god, I'm stop sorry. Now, stop. Okay, I'll stop for now. Uh, so yeah, the first incarnation of the jam came about um, uh, later on that very year with Paul on bass and his best friends Steve Brooks on lead guitar, Dave. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I see. So it's all right if you do it <laughs> on right. rhythm guitar, um, and then Rick Butler joined them on drums. Um, Bruce Foxton soon replaced Wubba Walla on rhythm guitar um, and then Brooks left in 1976 and Weller and Bruce Foxton swapped their guitar roles okay so they came about uh, around the same time as The Clash and The Damned and The Sex Pistols and all of those kind of people um, and The Clash were fans of theirs early on and um, gave them a, uh, a support slot on their White Riot tour in 1977 which um, helped kick everything off for them really um, and this was their first single um, which broke the UK, UK Top 40 in May 1977 um, I think it's about police brutality um, it was only the tender age of 18 when he wrote it um, uh, and yeah it's all kind of about youth in the big city um, he said that it's, it, it was the sound of young woking if not London a song about trying to break out of suburbia who knew woking sounded so good did you feel like that when you moved from Seaford to uh, the bright lights of Brighton and Home I didn't move here from there I moved to Manchester oh well there you go well I actually moved to Paris first bigger so, brighter yeah. lights of Manchester Pretty oh much. well there you go <laughs> smelled worse though <laughs> Uh, oh, right, this isn't the jam. This is the Sex Pistols. This is Holidays in the Sun. And I've just included this because this opening bass line, which may sound familiar because you've heard it in, in the city, um, basically Paul Weller had a scrap with Sid Vicious in the Speakeasy Club um, a few months after um, In the City came out because it looks like the Sex Pistols basically nicked it for this song. Yes, um, shocking behaviour <laughs> from the Sex Pistols there. But I went through a very big phase um, in my early teens of listening to the Sex Pistols and then Did the Clash you? and the Jazz. All because the Clash are good, but the Sex Pistols. Well, they well, the Clash, my introduction to the Clash was was the Manics, who I will be talking about a little bit. I warn you <laughs> in the next uh, while or so. Uh, there are some good jam links, um, but yeah, like through. Through that, I don't think Nirvana talked about the Sex Pistols and the Clash. No wonder you were so keen to do the jam. Well, that's the thing. So, researching this, I spent a long time just trying to decide which two jam songs um, I would pick, and I just found it impossible. Um, So, you picked 18. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't. I did narrow it down a lot. But they've got a lot of material. You just love bands with the name Jam in it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. But, yeah, very good. Um, and then obviously Paul Weller himself has a massive back catalogue, um, and I, I do, I do like Paul Weller. I do like '90s Paul Weller. Uh, you know, I like the big hits a lot, but I just like the Jam more. And in terms of the influence that they had on me and my musical tastes, the Jam played a much bigger role than the, the Mod Father did. 
All right, Anna, but this isn't Desert Island Disc, it's okay. <laughs> okay, it's also not a Sex Pistols, so I will fast forward and uh, going underground. So this is one of my favourite um, jam songs. And the first jam CD that I had was a compilation of their greatest hits. So obviously all the ones I'm going to talk about are on that. Um, uh, but I was also very pleased to find out um, that this is Nicky Wire of the Manchester Preachers' oh. favourite song of the 1980s. So there's an absolute radio interview with Nicky Wire where um, they ask him for his favourite song of each decade from the 60s through to the 2020s. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a very cute listen. I mean, Nicky's just lovely anyway, but he picked this uh, for the 80s. It um, uh, came out on the 1st of March 1980. Uh, and it's about um, uh, the UK government's arm policy. So you know, it talks about like nuclear weapons and stuff. Um, what Nicky Wire also said in his interview, which I thought was quite sweet, that um, apparently James Dean Bradfield um, had always wanted this Roland amp um, that Paul Weller and the Style Council had, and they, the Mannix and uh, Paul Weller, had the same roadie, and the roadie knew about how James had coveted this amp for literally years. Um, and Paul Weller eventually sent it down to him through the roadie, which was quite nice, right? Proper top geezer. Um, okay. Actually, the jam songs are really, really quick, so I am going to, you know, shuffle through them very quickly. This is my other favourite jam song. So this is Eating Rifles. I've got quite a this bit more to say about one. this. Absolutely love this song. Me too. So this is from Setting Suns, which came out in 1979, and it was their first top ten, so it was like... I mean, they were massive by this point already, but they hadn't, you know, they hadn't broken the um, the top ten yet, and this got to number three in November 1979. So he wrote this, um, not that far away from us, actually. He was on holiday with his girlfriend at his mum and dad's caravan in Selsey in West Sussex. Apparently, at that point, he'd never contemplated going on a foreign holiday. Selsey was about as good as it got. Uh, but it chucked it down with rain the whole time. Shocking. <laughs> I know, who would have thought? So he ended up um, being quite creative and wrote five new songs on an acoustic guitar whilst he was down there. Um, and this is about a street battle that he'd read about in the papers where um, elements of a right to work march, and that was a campaign led by the SWP, the Socialist Workers' Party. Um, so there was this, this, this march going through Slough um, I grew up not too far away from Slough, not in Slough, I hasten to add, but not far from Slough at all. Um, and this happened in 1978. So um, this uh, contingent from the march broke off to attack pupils from Eton, very close to Slough, um, who'd been jeering the marchers in their in their lunch break. So, um, you know, that's why you've got references to uh, Hello Hooray, um, an extreme escape with the Eton rifles. Um, and there's a lovely line that um, says, what chance have you got against the tiny crest? So obviously, you know, it's about that influence of the old school tie and everything. But he said um, that he didn't think of it as a particularly political song. He just thought it was a really good image of like, you know, the workers and the toffs and fisticuffs. It's the guitarist. It's amazing. Isn't it? It's really good. Um, yeah, I think, I think the the girlfriend then was Jill Price, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Who, weirdly enough, looks like the absolute spit of his current wife, girlfriend, person. I think they're married. Who's he they with at the moment? Just, I don't know. They look the same. He's it's had a few, hasn't super he? Super creepy. He has, but like Jill Price and Hannah, oddly, her name oh, is. okay. Really similar. Really similar. Like, they look like the same person, kind of thing. Starting to get a bit Ben Foldsian. Definitely got a Got a type. <laughs> Okay, so um, I don't know if we've passed the bit. Weller yet. wives. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So uh, yeah, I don't know if we've passed this lyric yet, but um, there's a bit where it goes: "Suck your beer and collect your fags." There's a row going on near Slough. Mm. So that's a double entendre. Obviously, you know, group of guys leaving the pub in a hurry, but it's also a reference to the the boarding school or the you know UK boarding school practice of, of fagging, where older pupils made younger ones be their personal slaves that's right and i should be just thinking like the word slough that we slough. also use yeah. yeah the americans actually do say slough they don't say slough do you think when they come here and they get on the train they're like <laughs> should we go to slough for the day slough. 
Yeah, no, don't. <laughs> it's slough. But slough is quite interesting. It's been used it? for... Um, well, it's, the, well, politicians and urban planners have, have found it quite interesting for a few decades, between the, the 60s and 1990s. Um, John Beshman didn't find it. Yeah, well, yeah, so. yeah, no, he suggested dropping bombs on it. Uh, a bit harsh. But yeah, they, they did lots of sociology experiments, um, urban planners and, mm. and politicians. Mm. And the office is set in... Slough. Absolutely, yeah. Um, oh, what an ending. Uh, right, I'm just going to pause it there before we get to the final jam track that um, I've got because I haven't quite finished on that. I've got quite a bit on uh, on Eaton Rifles, which I think you might enjoy. Um, right, so in May 2008, you might remember this. Uh, Old Etonian and pig fancier Dave Cameron mm. <laughs> said that Eaton Rifles was one of his favourite songs. Um, he said, I was one. How ironic. Uh, I was in the core. Uh, it meant a lot. I'm not going to try and do a Cameron accent. Some of those early jam albums we used to listen to. I don't see why the left should be the only ones allowed to listen to protest songs, he said. To which Weller oh. said, which oh, part of oh. it didn't he get? It wasn't intended as a fucking jolly drinking song for the cadet corps. So, um, yeah. You can imagine. But Weller and politics, um, there's quite a lot of interesting stuff about it because before that, so obviously the the jam um, had a lot of lyrics about sort of class um, warfare and hatred, but they also have a song called Time for Truth that was um, kind of um, about the decline of the British Empire and there were some disparaging remarks about Uncle Jimmy, which was a reference to um, the Labour Prime Minister, James Callaghan, at the time. And there's a line in there that says, whatever happens to the great empire, I think it's time for truth. And the truth is you lost Uncle Jimmy. So after that, um, and, you know, they they displayed the union flag and stuff a lot. They got a tag for, for being conservatives. Um, How on earth could you... <laughs> well, it was then made a bit more explicit because in 1977, Paul Weller told the enemy that people should vote conservative. So, he did? Um, he did. I mean, whether he meant it or not, I don't know. I think it was intended to shock people. I know he went off New Labour. Yeah, yeah, But that yeah. was only because they, they weren't, like, he didn't think they were taking it seriously enough, so I'm surprised to hear him say that. But then, this is classic of, of British people. Um, we do kind of roll with who it is and what they're saying versus their party. It's not always, you know, we're not quite so strict when it comes to, you know, the line between the left and the right. It's like some can be very, you know, central. And if the other side, who we would normally go for, say the wrong thing, we do often as British people, you know, just d- d- defect, even if yeah. it's just for the one election. <laughs> well, I think he's been, he's always been very true to Slag his, him off you know, for a while, you know. Well, yeah, he's always been very true to his working class roots. But, but what he said about why he said that, um, he said that, okay, so in his words, he said, I think I've pretty much nailed where I was at to the mask. But people come to gigs for different reasons. It isn't necessarily about what the person on stage is singing, but at the same same time, you do think, well, maybe this will change their minds. But then, yeah, as you said, like, um, later... I mean, he did get really involved with... um, There was a Labour Party initiative called Red Wedge, which was, you might remember, like, it was, like, Billy Bragg and... um, yeah, you're not uh, mates with Billy Bragg, if... Well, he fronted this this Red Wedge thing with Billy Bragg uh, and Jimmy Somerville... um, and uh, do you remember Strawberry Split, uh, Switchblade? No. They were like sort of poppy, sort of goth-like duo with like big hair and everything. Anyway, them. And Kirsty McCall was involved as well. But yeah, it was all about um, engaging young people in politics and like Labour policies in the run-up to the 1987 election. So, you know, to get Thatcher out. So he was really, really involved with that. But then, as you said, like a decade later, he was really disillusioned with the Labour Party and they wanted to use Changing Man along yeah. with... Um, I've talked about D-Reams. No, is it D-Reams? Things are only going to get better. Was yeah. it D-Reams? Yeah. Uh, but oh. like, he sold them to, uh, to shove it. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, that's the Eaton Rifles. Okay, so I thought the final jam song that I picked was uh, Beat Surrender, um, which I thought was appropriate because it was their final single. Um, so this is so style councilly as well, which is so funny. Well, yeah, you can see where his head was already at. Yeah. Um, and actually, funny enough, he um, uh, he'd written two songs. So this one and uh, what was the other one? Um, uh, Solid bonds in your heart. 
um, and wasn't sure which one to go for as the final jam single and then Solid Bond in Your Heart was eventually a hit for the Style Council. Um, but yeah, so like, as you know, like he was, you know, getting restless and wanted to uh, explore other styles and, you know, getting more into soul music and stuff. So he announced um, in 1982 that the jam would split at the end of the year. Um, a bit of a shitty thing to do, like, without, you know, telling his bandmates first, I think. I think he got his dad to break it to them at, like, yeah, a no, band meeting. This is just the beginning of... Well... Yeah. Willers. <laughs> but this anyway... Move, moving on -ness. But they ended with this. Um, it was their fourth UK chart topper. Went straight to number one in its first week in November 1982. Um, they sold out their farewell gigs at Wembley and then they had to add another gig um, due to popular demand down the road at the Brighton Centre on the 11th of December 1982. Um, and uh, the title of this song was uh, a bit of a combination of um, Sweet Surrender, which was a disco album that I guess he was influenced by, by Anita Ward that came out in 1979, Sweet Surrender, um, and uh, also the British military term of beating retreat, signalling withdrawal, uh, which is clearly what, what he was doing. Um, and he raised it to Mark at the end of the band, he said he wanted it to be a statement, a final clarion call, saying, right, we're stopping, you take it on from here. So it wasn't on any of the Jam's studio albums. It was a, a standalone single and um, it was played on the first episode of The Tube in November 82. So you've got, on backing vocals, you've got Tracy Young, who was um, one of Weller's uh, young protégés, who was later also on some Star Sound Council tracks, Speak Like a Child and The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Um, on trumpet, you've got Steve, Steve Nicholl, who was in... Um, a band called Loose Ends and on saxophone Keith Thomas who was uh, in a band called Legacy and did session work with Loose Ends and also Heaven 17, Julian Lennon, Banana Rama and um, they were also on A Town Called Malice which is another one of my favourite jam songs which I, I won't play you. Um, but yeah I don't know are you going to speak a bit about the split and the, uh, the not talking to each other for years and years? Not really. I will say that um, he has confessed to um, being right up his own arse throughout all of the 80s and that none of his behaviour necessarily makes any logical sense and that he completely accepts that. Um, and that and <laughs> he said this about 10 years ago that he, he was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I can't possibly be held to account for it either because you know it was obviously just drinking loads and being a dickhead well, yeah i was listening to an interview that was from um i think maybe maybe 2000 but like, i was gonna say not that long ago because in my head the year 2000 I isn't that long ago at all but it, it stopped me in my tracks a minute and i had to check the date because um he was he was saying about the breakup that well you know they weren't really you know that close mates they were just they went to school in a small town and you just kind of you know made made do with whoever was there so it wasn't really a big deal it's not like he was breaking up with lifelong long friends because they were just there i know you I just, just thought that's bloody harsh they were like what? your best schoolmates did you hear the quote about we should have just if dad was an animal we would have put him down like <laughs> it was five years past his sell-by date <laughs> who yeah. says that he's just a bit you know um perfunctory there's something a bit heartless about him, mm. you know. I don't know, but some people are just like that, aren't they? They're just like, put it in the box, tuck it away in the brain, gone. Mm. And I think he just moved on in his head and he wanted to do this other thing and he didn't want to do it with them. Yeah, yeah. It sounds you know, like that's out with the old, happened, in yeah. with the new. Harsh. And uh, he's definitely shown he's got form for that going forward, so. Mm. Well, so... You you prefer the Style Council to the Jam, don't you? I don't so. prefer them. I don't prefer them, but I do like Style Council, which you don't, really. Or you said you didn't really know. I don't them. dislike them, but yeah, I've, I've never delved into their catalogue in the way that I did with uh, with the Jam. So, I'll well, my dad was a big you. fan. He was a big Jam fan. He was a mod, um, and but he also really really enjoyed uh, Style Council as well. So I definitely heard it growing up. Um, so I'm going to start with. This, oh God, here's one of those things and I put it on and I wasn't like immediately like, oh God, I love this tune. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But then it's just been the earworm of all time and I've just been humming it constantly Ooh, all week. which one? Ooh. It's so <laughs> freaking 80s. I can't it even really is. deal with it. Even though... Well, it is super 80s, but you know what I mean? It's like that kind of... I don't... I think everyone, like... A lot of bands copied this. You know, going back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway... So, Style Council formed in late 1982 with keyboardist Mick Talbot, formerly of Dexys Midnight Runners, drummer Steve White, um, some other fella, and, uh, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and backing singer DC Lee. Oh. His future backing singer wife number one. <laughs> I mean, that, the way that ended was harsh as well. It was like, I am telling you, married. He doesn't then, give a fuck. It just, he didn't have enough, like, material for his songs or something yeah literally i've got i've got the the best quote on that later but anyway so this is shout to the top it's kind of like the blue-eyed soul version of the jam though you know what i mean i don't think it's like any version i mean it's like the wham wham not the jam (laughs) wham bam his lyrics and the way he sees the world you know we were just having a brief discussion before we recorded where i was going to forward this um theory that all top 10 songs are basically about sex to back up my picks for last week's <laughs> Valentine's Day and then I, I looked at the top 10 and these days nothing could be further from the truth it's so ridiculous two of the songs in the top 10 last week were from that film Encanto which is a Disney film so if that just gives you any kind of idea of who is buying singles these days yeah it's not us Tell you what, number two in the UK album charts as of a few hours ago today, Yard at the Overload. You've got to get it. it was, I was raving about them a few months ago, and I was right. They're gonna go mega. It wasn't that long ago, <laughs> and <laughs> didn't they give you COVID? <laughs> no, I think that was mature than me. <laughs> oh, in my head, they'll always be that band that gave you COVID. <laughs> anyway, this has been described as. Sophistopop. Oh, is it really that specific? Okay, I'll tell you what. I, so I don't mind this, but what bugs me about this kind of music is, and also coming, you know, they've gone from the jam, which is so quintessentially British, and you know, singing, or the singing's a stretch, but you know, like you can hear those British accents. Not that I have anything against American accents at all, but I do when it's clearly not your natural accent. And now all of this stuff is just. Yeah, they're just not singing like they like the Brits. Well, just bugs me. I think it was a sort of interest in Northern Soul, which we've talked about quite a bit. Yeah, this yeah. Particular volume. Um, anyway, it um, was the seventh single released in 1984. It appears in the Billy Elliot soundtrack, 2000. Oh yes. And in 1998, it was remixed and covered by Fire Island, featuring. Lolita Holloway, and it went to number one in the US dance charts. So maybe some Americans of a certain age might recognise it from that. But um, yeah, because he never really broke America at all, really. Not really, no. Mm. Not until a bit later. I don't think. He's big enough in the UK. Didn't need to worry, I suppose. Yeah, he never. Yeah, definitely. The Style Council was a very, very British um, thing. But here's my link. to your songs from our Valentine's Day. Ooh. The video was directed by Tim Pope, who you might recall was responsible for Close to Me, Friday I'm in Love, and Just Like Heaven videos nice. by The Cure. Bitchy head. Um, Tim Pope uh, became a director of movies, as also directed The Crow, City of Angels in 96. Oh, it's like we're obsessed okay. with talking about The Crow. Oh, hang on, The and Crow. And they were actually yeah, talking the about Brandon- it. The Crow City of Angels oh, is the second one, is it? The sequel, yeah. Oh, okay, no, it was the first one that soundtrack was um, Yeah, so the sequel has Iggy Pop in it. I'm sure I've seen it, but... You know, I have, I because it's got the gorgeous Vincent Perez in it. I, I, not that long ago, rewatched the first one and thought, why was I so obsessed with this film? It's really not pretty good. It's a horrible film. It's, it's really a terrible film. Um, but the soundtrack Brandon Leeds, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Soundtrack's still but, cracking. Still got, yeah, there's the cure on it. And then, yeah, I was like, why do I know Vincent Perez? Because, and then I was like, oh my God, he was the lead, male lead in La Reine Margot, uh, which is the French film from, from 94 as well, I think. 
Oh my God, if you haven't seen it, it's so good. It's just an amazing film, but also he's amazing in it. Anyway. Uh, so, what else have I got from the Style Council to delight your ears? Oh, this is such a... I feel like I definitely danced to this at a school disco. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's definitely... They shouldn't have been playing it. You know, it was like way beyond that stage at my school discos in the 90s but they definitely did so I was playing this yesterday just to get in the mood and my husband walked in and said um, slapped you <laughs> no he was like oh god he said "Is it? have I told you lately <laughs> that's Van Morrison isn't it or is it Rod Stewart is it Van Morrison originally yeah and funnily enough he played in Brighton last night <laughs> Van Morrison yeah did he yeah. my husband's a huge fan but he just is not going to pay like 80 quid for a ticket, which frankly I support. Yeah, I know, fair enough. He's taking the royal piss, isn't he? And he's really grumpy. He did yeah, see him once and he said he was just, it was awful. And definitely not not worth the cash, to be to be honest. <laughs> um, but can you can you hear it? It does yeah, yeah, sound very similar. It's a, it's a mood of the, of the 80s, for sure. So, um... When Style Council came to an end, Paul was quoted as saying, it's something we should have done two or three years ago. <laughs> we created some great music in our time, the effects of which won't be appreciated for some time. <laughs> you should you have jammed it, it, shouldn't they, really? But do, would you say, I don't know, did they did they split up at the peak of their career like the jam did? I'm not sure. No, but what happened is they did this album and it was basically like house music. Because he was doing yeah, it, he was really thing again. He was yeah. he was pivoting again, mm. and they were like, no, 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 calm down. We're not doing that. And in fact, they refused to release the album. Yeah, it yeah. was so not what they were looking for. And people who like worked with Paul, but also worked with other artists through the same um, records label, they said they went in, and everyone at the record label was like, yeah, Paul's over. It's not happening. You know, he's done. He's just out of here. Like, there's nothing left in him now he's just gone off the reservation type of thing it did seem like that but he was really shocked he was like yeah. wow you know and um actually uh he and Talbot put out a single on a very freshly minted acid jazz label with Eddie Piller under a pseudonym um, but then the record label found out <laughs> that he'd snuck off to do this and pulled it from the shelves after oh, like whoa. three days and had a big old fit and then that was that then then he was binned off Done. But I just love how, like, this is the second time we've had a quote from Paul. One was about his dad. <laughs> the second was about his second band, which is like, yeah, it went off the boil ages ago and I should have binned it then. <laughs> so, feeling like that's his general attitude to stuff like that. Anyway. Uh, so I'm going to move into the Paul Weller uh, solo mode. Before you do, did you know that Style Council were the second act to appear in the British half of Live Aid at Wembley in 1985? I know he mouthed Bono's lines onto Oh, that's what I was going to go into. Yes, or do they know it's Christmas? He mimed old Fanny's lyrics on top of the pops. You can, you can actually look it up on YouTube. It's quite funny because it's very obviously not him. Yeah. But then also at that time, so Star Council were, yeah, so 1984 was Star Council by then, wasn't it? So yeah, at the same time, a little bit Bono-esque, he'd, he'd put together his own um, charity ensemble called the Council Collective to make Soul Deep in aid of striking miners and the family of David Wilkie, um, who was a Welsh taxi driver who was killed during the miners' strike. Um, and the record featured Star Council and um, uh, some other performers. Uh, but kind of surprisingly, given how, how political it was, it was picked up by, by Radio 1 and got quite a lot of airplay and it was performed on top of the pops. Um, but it had, it had lines like, we can't afford to let the government win, it means death to the trade unions. Um, um, being mined, you know, on top of the pops, you know, in that kind of like party atmosphere of, uh, of top of the pops. Um, but that lyric, <laughs> the Star Council lyric that I just told you, uh, really reminded me of uh, another lyric. Now, can you guess who wrote this? Don't let those boys from Eton, Link Link, Eton Rifles, suggest that we are beaten. You want me to guess who wrote those lyrics? Yeah. Can you hell, Anna? <laughs> I don't know. Bono? <laughs> Miners strike, Welsh miners strike is another clue. Oh, is the Manic Street? Manic That's on their latest record. That's on Daylight like the Night Divide Us. Um, that's on their latest the record. Yeah. 
So how many years after this happened? Come on, guys. Do a do a weller and like. No, no, but that's not time. about the miners' strike. That is about the current boys for meeting in our government. Oh, right. Okay, um, I was going to say because you're kind of flogging a dead horse at this point, no, James. But also, Paul Weller said something about like how like he was asked, um, you know, why doesn't he write political songs anymore? Because you know, but as far as I know, apart from that, I don't think the Star Council really wrote many political songs, and his current stuff isn't particularly political, is it? It's a lot more about I don't know old old man subjects. Um, <laughs> wow. but he said like what would be the Slap. point no but like to be fair to him he said like what, what's the point I'd just be singing about the same stuff that I sung about in the jam because nothing's changed um, and I guess in that sense it hasn't really has it We're not really that's not that. true he could be doing like you know earthquake tin shaking you know he could, he could be helping out in different ways like I just feel like He's given up a bit, really. Well, I think he'd be talking about the same things. Well, maybe he's a bit busy um, with all his kids. <laughs> but just indulge me with a final Nicky Wire, <laughs> Nicky Wire quote about Weller himself. So Nicky Wire um, said, "You see, supposedly left-leaning actors and pop stars queuing up to get MBEs and OBEs, and I'd rather fucking stab my eyes out with a pencil than do that." Weller and David Bowie turned down knighthoods. That's good enough for me. So yeah, he rejected a, a CBE in 2007 and Bowie um, turned down a knighthood in 2003. I wonder if they regret it. Obviously not David Bowie because obviously he's no longer with us, but I wonder if he ever regretted it. What, Paul Weller? I don't think so. Either of them. I think he's still pretty true to his... No, I don't think so. I know, but you know, then you see David Beckham and you think, for fuck's sake, <laughs> he's just kicking a ball around. <laughs> I mean... You know Paul Weller thinks he's a bit better than that. Um, you know he does. I, I really don't think Weller's fast. I think he I is bet, fast. Oh, I bet he, he is. doesn't want I it. He does. I bet sure. he bitches about it all the time. <laughs> all right. We're going to move into Paul Weller 92 version. New okay. Weller. New Weller again. This is Into Tomorrow. So this was on the eponymously titled 92 album. Um originally put out under the name the Paul Weller Movement because isn't it great when you refer to yourself <laughs> in the first That's person. so really weird. Yeah, that's just dodgy name on many levels. And I wonder as well if he like the Paul Weller Movement he's definitely he's pinched um, some samples from ELO that were previously the move. Mm. You just wonder if you know and he definitely loves him but anyway um, this album's super acid jazz vibes. Lots of Yaz flute on this album. Yeah. Blue Eyed Soul and Full Effect. This is a really good track, actually. I mean, if you like this one, yeah. Hannah's not looking impressed at all. I mean, it's alright. It's just a lot of his solo stuff. There's some stuff that I really, really like. And then others that just, yeah. She's not interested in it's not protesting. Fuck him. <laughs> no, that's not true. I like some of his schmaltz <laughs> I was joking. As well. but... You do? I just feel like a lot of his stuff sounds like this. Well, yeah, no, he's definitely got a his little Weller shtick, doesn't he? Although, having said that, have you heard any of his um, latest out, Fat Pop? Because he's got... Um, Absolutely He not. is very good at, um, you know, keeping his finger on the pulse with new acts and stuff. And he has got a song with um, oh, Leah Metcalf out of the Mysterines. Do you know the Mysterines? Hannah just went and saw like 17 bands from Liverpool. I'm seeing the mysteries in a couple of months, <laughs> I think. I can't remember what it is, but yeah, they're very, very good. I'm going all the way to London town to see the mysteries. Oh my god, you must really like them. <laughs> you must be like really into them. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna play you another track. This is Uh Huh. Oh yeah. Always there to fool you. I think you'll like this one more. That's funky. So this one samples Marsha Hunt's Hot Rod Papa, which was a retort um, back to uh, Hot Rod Mama uh, from the year previous in 1969 by a little band called Tyrannosaurus Rex, aka T-Rex. Um, Marsha's album was called Walk on Gilded Splinters ah. um, in 1969, which was a Dr. John track from his sleeper hit album, Grigri, which didn't get any play when it came out, but is now definitely a bit of a cult kind of a fave for the New Orleans uh, native. 
And then Paul, you will recall, later covers I Walk on Gilded Splinters himself. With Noel Gallagher on acoustic guitar on that track, yes. And weirdly enough that you uh, played in the city at the very beginning of the pod because Dr. John first heard the jam when he was in a studio in London and they were in the next studio. And he didn't know who they were, but he could hear this sound coming from next door and he was really, really impressed. Um, uh, he said uh, it sounded ragged, which apparently is um, is like really good in New Orleans. <laughs> and he said, even though even through the walls, you could tell that shit was good. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, this is kind of new. Yeah, I like this. I really feel like he could have gone in a massively acid jazz way he's worked with the guy from Galliano as well like yeah there's a lot of crossover and he just I guess took a slightly he, different yeah he dips road. in and out of lots of um, genres which I, I think is admirable but I, I just don't like it when he he does that really kind of um, it just feels very forced when he does that like this kind of do you, do you know what I mean the kind of rocky I like it it's I just it's a bit great. cliche Oh, I really enjoy it. You don't get any of that with a jam, and I really appreciate that about them. Smooth, like, you know, it's actually good. I mean, if you if he didn't leave so many dead bodies in his wake, I I would commend him for his reinvention. He's kept it moving, and yeah, yeah, to yeah. be fair, he's, he's not gone stale at all. I will be fair. All right. <laughs> Shall we, we move on to Wild Wiz? Yay! Yay! I do. I do. Like, it's my my cousin Vanessa that got me into uh, got in, got me into this album. She really liked Wildwood. So do you wanna do you wanna start with? Now Sunflower came out first. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Nineteen ninety three. Let's hold off. Let's hold off on on our very favourite Wildwood. Oh, that was all I have to say about it. <laughs> it got to number sixteen. <laughs> I remember hearing this. Actually, I meant to and look being this like, up. huh? What, really? Sunflower? Paul Weller? Because uh, uh, I knew yeah, who Paul Weller nice. was because my dad was a big mod and jam fan and, you know, obviously Star Council as well. What it was I... a bit like a, oh, isn't he like, like my dad's kind of bag, what? you know? What, did your dad not like this then? I think he did, but it was more like it was contemporary. It was in the charts. Like we were listening to it. No, it my best friend Ali bought the album, yeah. and I recorded it from her. And, and it was like, my God, this is really, really good. But it was still like that kind of. Is this really happening? <laughs> well, I listening still, to one of my dad's favorite. I singers. still felt like he was a bit old for me. I mean, <laughs> do you know what though? When you look back, he looks he looks good minus the Dutch boy haircut. What was the Dutch thing about? Yeah, no. No, don't get that on any level at all. Um, but yeah, it did make me look back into uh, into his other stuff. But what I meant to, what I was going to say, what I meant to look up was what Exocet means. Um, I didn't. What does Exocet mean? Oh my god! Because the only note I've got on this is that Uncut described it as shaggy as a shaggy psychedelic Exocet. That's so funny because I read the same thing, and it's so weird. I read Avocet. Oh. And this is even weirder. Because Avocet's a type of wader bird, but in my head, I was thinking <laughs> ocelot. <laughs> okay, we're not anywhere near it to understanding what Exocet is. An ocelot is obviously like a mini leopard. Yes. So, but then I did look it up. An Exocet is a is a French-made missile. So okay. it wasn't that different. You know, I was thinking they were they were describing it as well. It's a bit weird to describe a missile as shaggy. It fits it fits my ocelot better, if you ask me. <laughs> Shaggy ocelot, because you know it's fast, it's quick. You know that's what they meant. It just like goes off like a rocket. I right. don't know. I think it could be a wader bird with a bit of swagger. <laughs> swagger through the marshland. Um, but anyway, I think he was actually thinking ocelot <laughs> when he wrote that. Anyway, Who knows? I think it, I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, but this. Kills me. This is beautiful. I'm surprised it only got to number 14. I know. So this was released with the album then, at the same time. 
Remember how they used to release singles and you couldn't buy the album yet and you'd be yeah. all excited and you'd go out and buy the singles? Yeah, I'd be down at Capitol Records. On a, was it usually a Thursday? Was it the same day that like the movies changed in the cinema? Like there to collect my singles. I don't remember the day because I could only go on Saturday afternoons. Was it, oh no, maybe it was it like the second Tuesday in the month or something? It was, a, it was a particular day and I, I knew what that day was back then. <laughs> <laughs> so did you watch the video? Uh, I, I must have seen it over the years, but I don't remember. Tell me, jog my memory. Well, um, it was shot in the ruins of a Jacobean manor house in Oxfordshire. It's a very working class. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We're not in Woking anymore. Which not is in the working men's club. Which is near the manor which is a recording studio formerly owned by uh, Richard Branson. So very, you know, very working class and uh, now owned by EMI, where he actually recorded Wildwood. He's got his own studio now though, hasn't he? Well, he's had his own record label, which didn't go very well. <laughs> which he has chalked up to his hubris big time. And was like, yeah, I was just a twat back then. Um, the Guardian called the track gloomy, yet oddly addictive, bucolic lament yeah and he's not he's not hamming it up with that just just feels more authentic no it's beautiful I like his voice on this I love, his I voice love on it this. just the whole record seems more authentic than what came before it's got such a dreamy quality I love the cover of the album as well just him in the yeah. shadow it's lovely it's moody Would you like to know what inspired it? I don't want to turn it off though, that's the thing. Yeah, tell me. Um, it was inspired by Mr. Fantasy by Traffic, which came out in the late 80s, in late 60s, sorry. Oh. Would you like to hear it? I know yeah, I don't want to turn it off, a... but you can hear the influences, so. There are some other Traffic links on there. Yeah. I can't remember what I think they he are. played with the guy from Traffic okay. in one of the later albums. He was feeling that kind of countrified vibe. He was going through his bucolic phase, according to the Guardian. Bucolic. <laughs> I was thinking, there's so many um, really kind of fancy um, words to describe his music that I found. You know? Exocet. Exocet, for example. Um, I don't know, what, what does... Paul Weller inspiring people to bring that out like he couldn't be more forcing the the you know working class thing down your throat you know what I mean he's like literally Oasis's main hero dude oh. don't know anyway while this is playing I'm going to tell you that um, whilst recording Wildwood uh, he was actually kind of a house husband prior to recording Wildwood and then afterwards he was kind of when he wasn't touring. I mean, he's got a shitload of kids hasn't he? Well at this point he was still married to Dee, um, aka Diane Catherine Seeley which is why she's D.C. Lee. Seeley? Yeah. Ah. Um, <laughs> um, anyway they had uh, two children at the time of Wildwood so Leah who was uh, Two and Nat, who was five. She's a musician as well. No? Mm, oh my god! She's they both look like they were like chiselled from marble, like the most beautiful children I've ever seen. Well, they're like grown ups now, but I think she's like... recorded stuff with him as well. So is he, but his was a. I don't know. Oh, I was like, I haven't heard of. Yeah. But hers was very good. Yeah, um, Luna Child, I think she is on Instagram. I think that's her professional name. But anyway, can you hear that sort of so wellery, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, um, so Dee was firstly a backing singer for Wham. Um, she was replaced when she left to join Style Council by Pepsi, who then went on to become Pepsi and Shirley. Shirley, who was married to Martin Kemp of Spandau Ballet. Um, Dee contributed to... Oh, I was so excited because I kind of... You know when you read someone's name but you didn't really pay that much attention? Because we've actually talked about this track. I've played this track. And I had no idea that she was singing, well, that she was a vocalist on it. Let me find it now. There's an interview um, from a few years ago where, is this this morning, what was Eamon Holmes on? Was it this morning on GMTV? One of those breakfast shows. 
and Pepsi and Shirley are on it. I think like talking about their time in Wham, and they you know show some some clips of them you know dancing with George Michael and stuff, and then it's really awkward because uh, um, Pepsi has to say, well, actually that that wasn't me. That was DC Lee. I came afterwards, yeah. and it's really awkward. Well, this is DC Lee. So she contributed her uh, vocals to Guru's Jazzmatazz Volume 1 from 1993 on this track, No Time to Play. Um, you like Guru, do you? We were I do. I love this album. Um, also, well, and the other one, but um, I think we talked about it in connection with the um, New Disciples and Carleen Anderson and Ndia Davenport when we did Brand New Heavies, who were also vocalists on the same album. Um, so yeah, whilst all this wonderful stuff was happening, you know, Dee's working, he's just got this new album to critical acclaim, you know, everything's great. According to Paul, life was too nice. Mm. This is a quote. And that for me, as a writer and an artist, <laughs> I might lose my edge. I had to break the shape up and rearrange things. So, like a massive bastard, he went and had an affair with a makeup artist called Lucy, which produced... A third child, Dylan, um, which strangely enough coincided with his divorce. <laughs> um, and then was quickly followed up with his next wife, Sammy, with whom he had two more kids, Stevie Mac and Jessamine. So yeah, as we so how many have we got observed? so far? Four. So we got five. Five so far. Yeah. Okay. Because he's cut, like he's got like some really young kids. Them, like, yeah, yeah. No, he's like he's nine or something. And... If I was his bird, I'd be oh. terrified. Yeah. <laughs> or happy because you know he's knocking on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, hang in there, Hannah. You can do it, girl. Um, I know you wanted to talk about hung up, didn't you? Which is another uh, track. Did I? Well, you mentioned that you like this one. Oh yeah. Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> I don't well, think it's just well, pretty. Well, folks, this has been hung up. An old man refusing to, uh, I don't know, admit defeat. He wasn't even that old, though. This is very Oasis-y, I think. This, this sounds like Noel Gallagher. Well, that sounds a bit But the lyrics as well, it's just got that kind of... Well, this bit, well, that's because they're fucking nicking all his stuff. Well, yeah, true. Matto sampled it for... For their 1996 album, it's called Sugar Water. Who? Chiba Mato. The two Japanese ladies, um, who basically they're called like, like the whole album is about food. So every track oh. is about different types of food. They're really quite out there. And Sean Lennon uh, is a member of the band. Oh, so what? What's drums? The, what what item of food is their song? This is about? Sugar Water. Oh, all oh, right, okay. There's all sorts. What's that? Like? It's quite funny. <laughs> What's sugar water? It's water with sugar oh. in it. <laughs> I like it so far. It's a really good album, actually. Anyway, do you want to move on to Stanley Road? Yeah. <laughs> Excited. <laughs> oh, I like this. I'm going to check them out. Which Lennon? Sean. All right, let's do... Reminds me of sneaker pins. Yeah, there is definitely, yeah. I think this is lovely. Do you like it? Yeah. So this was actually the third single from Stanley Road of 95, which is named after the street he grew up on in Wobobowking. Woking. Wobobowking, Woking. Um, and the cover art was designed by Peter Blake, who created the Sergeant Pepper. We talked about Sergeant Pepper. Yes, we have. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are again. Oh, um, I love this enemy, your uh, fave publication of the 90s. Enemy said, uh, and this was contemporary with the album, that the album was an old fart rockin' blues record, <laughs> which I bet Paul really enjoyed reading. <laughs> I think that was a bit harsh. <laughs> I, I, get, I get it. But I, I like old fart Paul, I think, more than like, yeah, um, I don't know, croony 80s R&B Paul. You know, at this stage you realise that it's, it's not that common that he writes a slushy love song. 
But most of the ones that I do like of 90s well are rather slushy love songs, I think. It's nice to... You do something to see me, break Yeah, show some emotions. Um, so this got to number nine. Apparently it's about unattainable love. So do you think it's about DC Lee or like... Because it seems no. like he'd attained love with her and then jacked it in because he needed more it was, material it was too nice. the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. it's too nice. Too comfortable, too happy. Who the fuck ever says they're too happy? Yeah, what a nutter. Then again, full well, crack on, I suppose, if that's how you feel. Um, but anyway, he, oh, so he played it on Later with Jules Holland. Um, and he played the piano. I think himself. I, yeah, I remember seeing that, yeah. Right after Supergrass played Caught by the Fuzz. Mm. I, yeah, yeah, definitely remember. You definitely that whole that episode. <laughs> Should we move on to Changing Man? Yeah. This one. Also, Changing Man's got the lyric, which kind of sums up the whole DC Lee breakup. It says, numb by the effect, aware of the muse, too in touch with myself, I like the fuse. Yeah. Bitter fuse, isn't it, at some point? Or did so, I just yeah. make that up? Anyway. I don't know. Apparently, the name for the track came from his daughter, Leah, calling her doll the Changing Man. Yeah, that's really weird. What was it, a Ken doll? I did I wondered, yeah. But, you know, presumably she flushed him down the toilet when she got wind of her dad's new plans. <laughs> See you, Changing Man. But wasn't it also like one of his mates was managing a band called The Changing Man or something? And yet, someone else has said, yeah, but you did know about this other band called The Changing Man. But anyway, that's his story and I guess he's sticking to it. Um, his former friend and biographer, Paolo Hewitt, Tells well, he tells several stories about Paul, and trust me, none of them are particularly flattering. <laughs> but um, one of his stories is that they were in a car with this other guy who's like a mutual friend of theirs, and it was he was taking them for a ride in his brand new Mustang. And then they got in, and, and the radio came on, and Paul said, "Oh, turn that old shit off." What and they it? were like, "It's changing, man. It's your song." <laughs> Did he not realise? No, he didn't. No, apparently he didn't realise. He was just like, oh, turn that crap. Oh, dear. Anyway, uh, Carly Nansen. Yeah. Back again. With with vocals here. And Dr. Robbins, Steve Craddock. And Rajin Carlisine. Craydock. And Steve White. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the one that also uh, samples the ELO track. Um, which was interesting. So, so Roy Wood had been asking um, Jeff Lynne to join the move because um, he was in another band and he was like, come on, you know. And he was quite intrigued by Roy Wood had this idea that he was going to meld classical music with rock music, take it just a whole different direction. And um, Jeff Lynne was like, really into that, but I'm still doing this thing here and I don't really like what you're doing now. So they decided they needed extra money to sort of fund the ELO plan, which is what they were going to do, the orchestral kind right, of vibe yeah. with it. Um, so they did, they went into the studio and they laid down um, this, which is the 1053-8 Overture. And you can hear the phrase. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe sampled is a polite way. Very distinct. This is very evidently a contribution mm. anyway. Um, and then, so this ended up being basically the first ELO track ever to be created because technically ELO weren't even a thing yet. With Weller's Blessing? Or... No, 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 it was ELO's track. Oh, right. From the 70s. Yeah, okay, you got it the wrong way around, right. Yeah, yeah, no, it's from the 70s. And then Roy Wood then left ELO to uh, create Wizard, giving right, us so one of Christmas's favourite tunes. <laughs> so did he sample it with ELO's Blessing or not? Yeah, he's good friends with Jeff Lovell. Okay. Yeah. Um, he also sampled uh, in Old England Town, which is another instrumental from ELO. I'm surprised I didn't pick it up actually, because usually ELO is so distinctive and it's so Jeff Lynne, it's just everything he does sounds like. And I really like ELO. And I remember when um, George Harrison came out with um, what's George Harrison's worst famous track, which of course I'm blanking on now, you know. Um, uh, the one with the Hare Krishna in the 90s. Um, oh, come uh, on. Ah! That's so annoying, I can't remember. I've just gone completely blank. Shit. Anyway, um, I've got my mindset on you. 
Ah, uh, I've, I've always loved that track. Really? Oh no! And it's massively—it's produced by Jeff Lynne. The whole My thing is it. basically oh, really? down to Jeff Lynne. Yeah. So anything Jeff Lynne does, I'm actually into, even though he is a very strange man. <laughs> anyway, would you like to hear the? Um... Oh no, we're not doing that yet. Are we? Broken Stones. Yes. Here we go. Oh, if you're interested, the um, 1053A Overture, the name came from Jeff designing it should sound a bit space age. So he just looked at the mixing table and saw 10 and 53. And then Roy was like, add an eight on the end, it'll look good. <laughs> that sounds quite spacey. <laughs> oh, I think this is beautiful. Apparently he, he was inspired to write this after a chat with his son on the beach. He was explaining that people are like broken stones trying to become whole again. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like he's trying to sound like Otis Redding and it's a bit too much. Like he's like, I don't want to do You know, it's a bit like, okay, calm down a little bit. I like this, I like this slouchy side. Um, uh, it's the only song on Sunny Road to not have guitar on it. It's all say, based around playing, an electric piano, yeah. Is he playing Hammond organ? This sounds like an organ to me. Maybe. I didn't research this one because I didn't plan to talk about it, so not pulling this one right out of my... It's a beautiful hand. Yeah, it's not my fave, but I like it. It's, it's, pleasant. it's pleasant, but yeah, I think, it's it's I think he's forcing the accent a bit. You know how you're talking That's about That's exactly what, but yeah. He's doing it. Yeah, I'll let it go on this one a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I just think he does it on the same. What's this, a harmonica? That would I'd be my guess, yes. Okay, should we move on to Heavy Soul? Yeah. All right. I only know Peacock Suit. So does everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he, he pinched the... Uh, the name of the album from someone else as well. Is anything original about oh, it? Rubber Soul, I imagine. No, no, no. Oh, it's the artwork's uh, really 60s isn't it? No, it's like a 70s soul album, I think. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so this is Peacock Suit, got to number five in the UK, August 96. So, uh, clothes. We haven't talked about his clothes. How stylish no, he is. We barely even mentioned his ridiculous hair. I dislike his hair more and more, in fact. Now he's got the micro fringe, but the weird long side bunny thing. Oh, yeah, no, Don't that know what's is not happening. No. No, although I will Lockdown say, hair, he's aged well everywhere else. He doesn't look 60. Ish. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this album's produced again by Brendan Lynch, which has done several. Jules Holland plays piano on this album. Oh, cool. So Paul's uh, Return the Favour by going on late, uh, later with Jules Holland more than 15 times, which is impressive. Um, Steve White also back on the drums. Um, he's been playing with Paul since he was 17 years old. He impressed Weller so much with his skill. And Steve's brother Alan is also a drummer and played with Oasis from 95 to 2004. He'll bin him off soon enough. Huh? He'll bin him off soon enough. <laughs> Well, one of the guys, I can't remember who it was now, I think it was Craddock actually, or Craddock, I'm not sure how we're pronouncing it. Um, originally, he was such a super fan that he would go and hang out at um, Paul Weller's studio when he still had one in Marble Arch, and just hang out and try and give him like tapes of his band, and he just kept, he kept getting thrown out by security Ooh, and stuff. I wonder then if he was, I think it was um, when they were recording Eaton Rifles, apparently it was really difficult to record and they wanted to put it out on their previous album, but they just couldn't get it right and they did loads and loads of takes and just couldn't get it right, so kind of, you know, stuck it on the shelf. And when they attempted it again, apparently the like the secret weapon was there were a bunch of uh, jam fans hanging around outside the recording studio in West London. Um, so Paul Weller came out and invited them in and they became like the backing vocalists on the record? No, but that's Jill Price. Ah, she, that's how he yeah. met So she was Jill one of Price. them. Yeah. Okay. yeah, she was literally a groupie. So it may, a maybe nice Steve Craddock would have been too young. I don't know, but yeah, you can really be too young. This like, was at the Marble Arts Studios, I believe. Okay. And they so, kept yeah. slinging him out. And then he ended up um, forming Ocean Colour Scene. 
with that other fellow whose name I can't remember, the lead singer. I mean, they couldn't be more wanting to be Paul Weller. Well, exactly. And then. Even the haircuts, they ripped off hair, but I suppose it's a mod haircut. Well, they started to get, you know, some attention, and then Paul finally listened to them. They're the new wave of mod revival. And then they opened for him, which was probably like the best thing that's ever happened. Yeah, they must have wet They're their the best pants. thing that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I just. Uh, anyway, um, so these days Paul is married to Hannah, as we've mentioned, who we met in a shop that she was working in in New York. Oh, what kind of shop? I don't know, I'm imagining clothes. <laughs> what do you think? Um, she's the mother to his twin boys. Bowie and John Paul Weller. Now, I did read they were, that they were named after their dad's favourite singers, but that's not actually true. Apparently, Hannah's a massive Bowie fan, which is why... Hang on, Bowie. so who's John Paul? John Paul, well, John is which John Paul's Paul? dad. Oh. And Paul, that's his dad. It's the Pope, isn't it? Well, then people are like, oh, no, it's the Beatles, it's John and Paul, but, like, I really think it's probably his own father and, like, him, because that sounds like Paul Weller to me, really. And the latest addition, um, now Nova, who Paul apparently helped birth. He pulled her out, apparently. So he's really getting stuck in these really? days. He's a changed man. He's <laughs> he, uh, he said that he can never retire because he has to fork out too much money in spousal support <laughs> and because he has eight kids. Paul reckons that this is the one, though. This is the keeper. And this one's forever. Well, that's what they all say. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, 10 years ago, he said he wanted 20 kids, so who knows, girls? Ooh. Get yourself down to the studio and uh, Mr. Weller may, may let you in. I wonder if his mates were Ben Folds. They compare notes. There's definitely some similarities, but it's like, Paul, I don't think he's been married that much, but he's got like shitloads of kids. Whereas been productive. Ben's obviously had like five marriages, but only two kids, so maybe they Swings could. Swings yeah, maybe they could do some therapy together and help <laughs> each other out. Anyway, that's a solid over an hour of chatting about Paul Wobba Weller. Who'd have thought? I'm impressed with us. Then again, Wobba we have Wobba. covered his, well, a lot of his career, like three decades. There's still more to come, but I think we'll leave it. Yeah? I'm yeah. good. <laughs> I don't need. Yeah, do you want to, right, whilst we um, talk about where people can find us. Um, is this about Paul hear... Weller or is this about Yard Act? <laughs> no, it's about the. Uh, do you want to hear the, the, the song of Fat Pop um, that's yeah, right. got uh, the Mysterines? Um, oh, goddamn it. <laughs> so you can tell people where they can find us because I need to find my playlist. I don't know. Here we go. Okay, fine. We're on Twitter at SomaGXP. You can find us um, on Gmail. We are Society Osmiogenics Podcast at gmail.com you can go onto Instagram and find us there we are Society Osme a Gen X podcast um, well we have line. merch we have merch we have fanny merch well <laughs> so leave us a review we'll say hello drop us a video uh, yes an audio message on Anchor oh my god that's such a good idea if wing. you leave us um, leave us a, uh, a review on, on Apple because it would be so helpful very very nice for you um then, you know, if you manage to put the word fanny in, then we'll know that you're after so much and we'll somehow track you down. I don't know how. Maybe you should tell us on Instagram that you've done this for us. And then we shall send you something. Gladly. And we'll see you next week for our mixtape retrospective. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Final, final show. So, ta-ta for now. Bye.